Good evening and welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard and that was almost the singy type introduction. Um, yeah, I liked it. Do you like it? Because join, yeah. joining me tonight, who's not even going to wait until he's introduced, that's how keen and excited he is. I'm totally excited to be here. <laughs> Utterly, totally excited. It's Cesar Aljassar from Alley Cat Games. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Thanks to thanks for having me here. That's all right. It's been it's been. Um, I think this has been one. Of, this has been probably the one that's required the most organisation in terms of. <laughs> uh, probably probably mostly my fault. I think for it's having to reschedule. I think... And then like putting it in the calendar and going, oh wait, were we supposed to talk <laughs> like three days later? Ah, uh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. But tonight it is the say, and as Colin would say. It is your night. And we're into the episodes, we're into the hundreds of episodes now. Or Excellent. Over the hundred mark, which happened. So, in other words, you basically, the, the last hundred was just the practice. This is the real deal. So there's no yeah. pressure tonight. This is it. So, but this is it. I've got to perform. If you're, gold, gold will go home. If you're terrible, I'm just going to just pretend this didn't happen. <laughs> well, we can always delete the whole. No, thing, but no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, but I suppose we should speak to all the lovely people that are listening just now. And the the the, the thing to say is, you know, first of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And um, yes. people continue thank to, you. yeah, people continue to kind of be jumping on board. They obviously like the um, <clears throat> the superior plate of jammy dodgers that we have outside in the foyer. And as I say, we've not only got filter coffee on tap, we've now got been asked for decaffeinated Earl Grey. As well, I don't know why we've brought that in, but it is all wonderful and all fabulous. The reason that we continue to do this is because we believe in our heart of hearts. There's quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games, and this that's very true. And the second reason is when you've got a force of nature involved in the UK Kickstarter scene, like Cesar, it's <laughs> it's absolutely rude to have everybody else on except him. <laughs> <laughs> of course, which is why I, I'm not. I'm not sure um, a storm or whatever you described it is the best way. More like a light breeze. <laughs> I was going to say a drizzle, but that <laughs> could drizzle be, works as well. Could, yeah, could be misconstrued as something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but moving on. But moving on. But how are you doing anyway? First of all, before we. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Busy. Yeah, I mean we've got uh, an well. As of now, uh, we've got a week and a half left until the Kickstarter, and uh, I didn't know until about two weeks before this, but my, my graphic designer has been on holiday for two weeks, oh. so I was like, ah! I had to sort <laughs> things out before before he left, yeah. and uh, we still have like 50% of it to go, and oh. the video guy has been in Florida, so he's had to lock down everything because of the storm, and so everything everything's fine, of course. Everything's fine. You're looking quite good on the sky camera, I must say. You're looking quite chilled and relaxed. But then I realised <laughs> that's a photograph of you. <laughs> probably, yeah, of course. Probably, it's, uh... probably taken at a happier time. <laughs> oh, yes. There's, there's, there's always a happier time when you're not working on board games, obviously. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I didn't even realise you've got a Kickstarter coming up. You know, I've never never been told or never seen it kind of anywhere. Um... <laughs> no, I, I try and keep it hidden. I don't want to tell people about it, uh, but somehow it keeps leaking out. I don't know why. <laughs> it's probably the the Dice Hospital T-shirt you're currently wearing, but I'm not. Oh. I'm not judging. Oh God. <laughs> um, 
what we like to do in these episodes um, is obviously it is a work in progress. And what we mean by work in progress is that we are going to we like to speak to a creator and we like to find out a little bit more about them. Not just the product. It's about right. it's a little bit about your good old <laughs> self. And it's called Oh, should we stop it right here then? No. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> as we say, what we like to do is we like to have we like to have a little gaze back into the past. We like to have a little focus with the eyes on the present before we kind of shoot off around the corner with all size sirens blazing in the ambulance <laughs> of the future. <laughs> Love it. Do you like that? Love it. I just made that completely off the top of my head. Just That's brilliant. Just, you should be a freestyle MC. I, I don't think that would work. Um <laughs> There are a few Scottish MCs out there, so I you know. still don't think that I would probably have to stop halfway through, and then <laughs> and then I would be rubbish, um, and, and yeah, I would just falter at the first hurdle. But first of all, we do want to find out a little bit about your history. So yep. if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got adventured into the land of cardboard, <clears throat> um, well, uh, me and my wife, we started. Uh, playing board games quite a while back when we were doing our PhDs. So this is about eight years ago. I mean, we've already, we were always gamers anyway from a very young age, but we were introduced to modern board games probably about eight years ago. Okay. From, from a friend of mine. Um, and he introduced us, you know, the basic things like Settlers of Catan and then Ticket to Ride and, you know, so forth as you go on through, through gaming. Uh, but it wasn't until, uh, we were on holiday in 2015 when, the designer of Subterra actually sent me a copy of his um, latest prototype at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason I, I, I knew him is because, I, I mean, I tell everyone this because it's a, it's a crazy story. So I actually used to go to school with this guy because I was best friends and I still am best friends with his older brother. All right. Um, yeah. So I've known him since he was like three and he hates me. He hates me when I tell this story that I've known him since he was three. Um, but yeah, he sent me a design of, of one of his games in, in 2015 and he just said, I just want to know what you think of the game. What was, was what just, was the game? Um, I can't remember the name of the game, but essentially it was a, <clears throat> it was a Celtic themed sort of set collection game. All right. Um, very simple. Um, I don't think he wants me to talk about it. <laughs> uh, but Tim Pinder is the designer oh, of the game. Okay. Yeah. So I know his older brother and actually, uh, you know, I, I'm still best friends with him, um, which is just crazy. Uh, but yeah, Tim sent me the game. Um, me and my wife were like, yeah, this is really cool. And obviously he'd done the art or whatever himself and he printed it and he sent it off to us. So that kind of got us going during our holiday. And we thought to ourselves, well, Tim's made this really great game and we know him. And we thought, well, if someone that we know can, you know, is capable of making such a cool game, we thought, why don't we give it a go? <laughs> so. You know, at the time, I was reading this book called The Secret Anarchy of Science um, by this author called Michael Brooks. All right. Uh, which, which is it's a really great uh, book, basically telling people about how scientists cheated their way to the top or, or they had been sabotaged, you know, famous scientists, non-famous scientists. It's a great book. So, and, and then me and my wife came up with the idea, why don't we just come up with a theme about, you know, sabotaging people and building up your lab and, and something like that. Um, and she, my wife, she even came up with the name Lab Wars on that first day. And then literally we sat, you know, on our 
little uh, apartment um, overlooking the swimming pool. And we just said, hey, let's go and just pick up some paper and card and make this game now. (laughs) (laughs) So we got... Yeah, we just got in our hire car. We went to, down to the latest, the local town. We just got loads of paper and scissors and all sorts of coloured pens. And we just started from there. Um, and then, yeah, and then nine months later, Lab Wars was on Kickstarter. <laughs> well, you know, it could have been slightly differently if nine months later there was a little <laughs> a little one turning up instead. <laughs> yes, well, that, that's another type of podcast. <laughs> it's a beautiful, bouncing... Um, uh, miniature board game <laughs> <laughs> yes what's your yes. um out of interest and because i am genuinely a nosy person what's your P- yeah. what's your phd all about what's your phd in oh god come oh, on god. uh well it's one of the more difficult questions <laughs> well you see i don't want to talk about it because i've forgotten it all now was well, um, no come on <laughs> so, um, I, also, I don't like to brag about it, but um, you should not yeah. brag. It's your night, as we say, brag. I was kind of forced into it as well. Like to add, my my parents were like, "Right, if you didn't get into medicine, you've got to do a PhD now." Sorry, right, okay. I was like, "Oh, bloody all right." Then. All right, so you were meant you were going to be a doctor? No, well, I tried to be, but uh, I'm <laughs> okay. a failed failed oh, medic. No, no, like what? No, no, no. That's why most PhD students they just go into it because they couldn't get into medicine. <laughs> that's the harsh reality a lot of it so what did um, you do your phd in then uh so i did it in molecular biology well oh. molecular and structural biology so all right uh, so we looked at the molecular and structural biology of this protein in in the heart um and whenever it had a mutation uh it could basically give people heart disease so the the, the story i like to tell people is um most people know about Fabrice Mwamba, who collapsed on a football field. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, the stuff that I looked at caused the same sort of problems for people. So uh, it was this. Basically, it's called ARVC, which is a very long scientific name. But essentially, if you have a mutation like that, yeah. and you have and you do lots of exercise, you get to a point where if you do too much exercise, you can just literally collapse uh, from doing too much. Is the V does that is that got the ventricular or something like yeah. that in it? Is it? <clears throat> yes, Guessed correct. It. Guessed it. Guessed correct. It. Well there done. You go. Give me a certificate. So, PhDs yeah, are so easy. That's what I did. Yes, you know what? They give them out like smarties these days. I bet so. you they don't. I bet you, I know how much work people put into a PhD. <laughs> you know what I mean? They do, they do. But you know what? I have a lot of respect for people that did it in the seventies because to do it back then with no money, no resources, and you know, to find out some really interesting stuff was really, really hard back then. I guess just to um, kind of pioneer it and something like that. I guess yeah. I guess nowadays it's like, hmm, I wonder if this has been done before. And you could yeah. probably go <clears throat> in, you just Google it. And I guess in a lot of the kind of the, a lot of the studies and a lot of the stuff that people have worked on their PhD is kind of sitting there and you can check. It must have been really yeah. annoying to maybe work on something for like two or three years. And then to turn up at kind of like your PhD stuff ready and find yeah. out that somebody else had just done the same thing but taken yeah. a slightly different kind of slant well, on it. The really good thing is nowadays, you know, we have things like uh, PubMed or Google Scholar, mm. and it's actually relatively easy to find out if someone else has done something similar. So you really should be doing something that is at least a little bit innovative. You know, you're at the front of your field mm. the biggest problem is that you you are most likely going to be doing something that someone else is working on at exactly the <laughs> same time um and that's where the whole the lab wars things comes into play because um it's so competitive now and um 
there are certain countries in the world where cheating is a, is a way of life just to get to the top because you have to do it, um, which is a really sad state of affairs. Well, um, but it happens. Are you still in the state? Are you, did you are you still in the same industry then? Or are you doing something else? No, this is my full time job. Awesome. What? Yeah, so I, I left. Uh, my contract finished uh, 2016 in June. Uh-huh. <laughs> Funnily enough, when when Lab Wars was on Kickstarter, yeah, um, and I decided with with my boss that I wasn't going to renew my contract. Um, and I said to my wife, "This is what I want to be doing," and she was like, "Yeah, I'm going to fully support you." So you're now a full time board game designer. Well, not a designer anymore, but a publisher. Publisher. Yeah, so publisher slash developer. That's pretty cool. That's a different. Yeah. It's a different. It's kind of like looking at your CV would be like PhD, molecular biology, lots of complicated stuff. Even more yeah. complicated stuff involving board games. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's a crazy way, but you know there are so many people that have crazy turns in their life, and as as long as they're happy and you know they're making a living off of it then good for them yeah i mean if you become passionate about something i guess if you can make it this thing that you do all the time and if you become very good at it and you're able to make money out of it and keep a roof over your head then there's absolutely nothing wrong in my book with doing that at all yeah definitely with and i yeah i'd certainly recommend it to people like because i've spoken to so many people you know, my friends or strangers, and they just say they either hate their jobs or whatever, and they, just, you know, maybe they're in a crossroads in their life and they just don't know what to do. And my, my simple thing is just basically say, what do you enjoy and can you make a business out of it? And if the answer is yes, I can just about scrape by for the first year, I'd say do it and see what happens. Because you're not to lose. Exactly, you have nothing to lose. You know, unless you have a mortgage and, you know, you have... Lots of overheads, and you don't have a partner. Yeah. You know, having a partner makes a, is a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm super appreciative of Cully. In terms of with you having an analytical brain, and I'm guessing that you do, is that reflected in kind of like your board game collection? I mean, what are the kind of games that you like to play? What would you settle down? Are you prefer? Are you a heavy Euro guy? Or oh, you... definitely not. No. <laughs> like, it reminds me too much of work. <laughs> Like real work. It's kind of, like I totally appreciate the guys like who want to play games like Phil Eklund and yeah. um, you know his games. And I actually work for Phil as his Kickstarter manager. Um, that's another story altogether. But I totally respect those sort of games. But I just can't play them because it feels like I'm doing my PhD all over again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, especially if you're um, playing something like if you look try to set up something like say Feast of Odin or oh something gosh. like that. Because I'm like it. That looks great, but I just would not want to touch the rule book of that. I've seen that. I've also what's a what's a game I've got? Um, what about Yokohama? That looks fantastic as well. That does, um, <laughs> but really complicated. And you're just like, mm, do I really want? Do you know what the funny thing is? That what I've heard about a feast for Odin is that you have all these different boards, you have all these different moving parts, but once it kind of gets going as a machine. It does actually run like a machine, and it's absolutely wow. fantastic. It's like um, Dungeon Lords as well. I've got Dungeon yeah. Lords, and the fact that there's like about four or five different boards with tokens and meeples and little goblins everywhere, that kind of puts me off, because I am a man of a relatively small brain. And so <laughs> and so anything that kind of takes my, takes my attention away 
for this, you know, for the briefest second, and I'm just, I'm just kind of going. I think I've watched, um, I think I watched Rado <clears throat> do play yeah. through Dungeon Lords, yeah. and I just went, "Yep, okay, okay, that's." I'm going to put that back in the cupboard. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yes, there are a lot of games like that. But so, um, what, what, what kind of, um, what kind of, what you can kind of you play on yourself? Then, what is it you like to kind of play? Oh gosh, I have lots of games that I like to play, and I was just saying to my wife the, the other day that my favorite game of all time that I can just take out every single time and enjoy is probably Battleline. All right, um, the the Reina Knizia classic, um, and uh, so I I met a guy um, a couple of days ago uh, called Roland. He runs a game. He runs a publisher called Roland's Revenge. Oh. He's also an illustrator, and. He actually made a limited edition print run of Battleline recently, and I saw it and I was like, "Oh my god, I have to, I have to buy it." So I messaged him and I was like, "Where can I buy it? I need to buy this. I need to buy it right now." And he said, "Oh, I live in well, my parents live in in Hertfordshire." And I was like, "Oh my god, so do I." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Can I buy it off of you?" And he was like, "Yeah." So we met up, we had breakfast, um, and it was just totally cool. And he, he told me this limited edition game. Yeah. Um, so is it like kind of like a, a kind of like a dodgy deal in a kind of a cafe? You both had exactly. a bit, you had a bit of bacon except, and eggs, except, in it. <laughs> except that you know the powdery stuff. We had the card stuff. <laughs> exactly. What yeah. what you got? It's about um, I got two two and a half kilograms, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was totally like that. Is but um, but uh, actually, my probably my favourite game uh, is Istanbul. Oh yeah, love that game. Love it. Um, it's just got. A beautiful blend of Euro mechanics, pick up and deliver. Um, no wonder it won the uh, Spiel des Jahres award. Um, I also like at the moment Explorers of the North Sea. Okay. Um, so that's by Shem Phillips, the guy who did the uh, the, the Raiders trilogy. Yeah. Um, so that's part of that trilogy. Um, but yeah, just I think I'm not into like medium plus games. Um, it has to be. But medium is okay, but it can't be like too heavy, and it can't be like too too thinky because a I hate reading rule books. Um, yeah. I ha- I have this problem where I sit down, I read a book, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I have to usually get someone else to do it for me. <laughs> but <laughs> so I get my friend Andy, who who was the lead playtester for Lab Wars and Cauldron Master. Oh, right, he okay. he will teach me some games, uh, despite the fact that he lives in Sheffield. So. Sometimes I'll just go to his house and he'll teach me four games. So tomorrow I'm meeting in Peterborough because he's working there. He's he's like, right, what games do you want to learn? I was like, Tiny Epic Quest. Um, I want to learn Scythe. He was like, okay, bring them both. I'll teach them to you. I was like, yes. He's like your game rule dealer. This is yeah, he is. And he keeps shouting at me. He was like, I can't believe you're a publisher and you don't learn the rules yourself. Yeah, but it's like... It's a different kind of thing. It's like I may be the guy that paints the Sistine Chapel, but I'm not necessarily the guy that cleans the brushes. <laughs> hey, reading the rule book is an important job. It, is. it totally is. It is. But I just can't be bothered. No, it's exactly because I mean I was talking about this. Was I was just talking about this the other day that I've still got the others sitting there waiting to yeah. play. And I start reading the rule book, and then it cuts to like a bit of flavor text, and I'm just like, "Yes, I understand you're trying to create atmospheres. Atmospheres <laughs> is important. However, I'd like a cohesive document, please." 
because otherwise I just start thinking about something else, and then I get, <laughs> and then I get scared of the game, and then I put it back in the box because that's yeah. how it works. So get it sorted out, Mister Lang. But yeah. anyway, but um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah those, those are the sort of games. I mean, other honourable mentions. I'm, I'm looking at my my collection now. Um, <clears throat> what else do I like? Um, I quite like real time games. Um, so one of my favourites at the moment is Zombie the Escape Zombie City one. Oh yeah. Um, another one. It's not real time, but it's co-op. It's probably my favourite co-op. Is Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, that's a great uh, pirate themed co-op game um, about uh, trying to collect some treasure from a burning ship, and you've got a limited amount of time to collect all the treasure and get out. Um, and then probably my favourite worker placement game is just the classic Viticulture. Um, oh, uh, I do love Viticulture. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And then probably my <clears throat> my favorite Euro, if you if you want to call it that, Castles of Burgundy. Um, so yeah, I've heard yeah, I've heard good. I've heard. I tell you what, I've actually got a friend who I'm. He was an old university friend, mm. and I went and seen him about last. I went and seen him last month for the first time in years, and he had yeah. he had Castles of Burgundy, and he says, "Oh, great." He says he's never played it, so I says, "I'll, I'll kind of go over and I'll come over and we'll have a game." Now I've got to learn how to play Castles of Burgundy. It's really not that hard, honestly. I've, I've heard for someone like mm-hmm. myself. Um, okay, I did have Tim Pinder teach it to me, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a he's a good demonstrator. Pa- but despite that, it is easy to learn. You're painting a really good picture. This is because I noticed there was a strange kind of stretch goal when you did Lab Wars originally, which was like have some other random person that didn't have anything to do with our game come round and teach you how to play our game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But was yeah. I mean was that <clears throat> you mentioned obviously you were on you're on holiday. You yeah. decide to put kind of lab wars together. But I mean what kind of with you kind of moving from one industry to another and you're getting into yeah. the creative side of things. Was there part of you at any point that kind of went what am I doing? I'm sitting here looking at graphics. I've got little kind of conical flasks. I've got little point things. This is what you know. I've got playing cards. I'm getting this all designed. What am I? What am I actually doing here? This is you know. Were you ever kind of, or were you just a hundred percent? This is going to happen. I'm completely focused. This is the way I'm going to go. Usually, if um, I'm the sort of person that if someone dangles a carrot. In front of my head, I'm 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 going to chase after it. <laughs> so it was as simple as that. Yeah. And I I totally believed that there was you know because despite being an academic, um, I had always been quite a business minded person. Uh. So you know when I was younger, I used to be a waiter, and I used to you know I used to because my my family weren't they weren't the richest people, but we weren't poor. So I really valued having pocket money. Mm. So when I when I went to work uh, at you know restaurants or whatever at a young age, I really valued the money, and I, I always thought to myself, how do I make more money with that money? Um, and then I moved on to becoming a salesperson, and then I realised I had a knack for understanding. And this is the most important thing: like, what do people want? It's not just a phone. It's about understanding where the person comes from, how often they're going to use the phone. Are they bothered about the style of the phone? Are they just looking for something cheap and functional? So there's, and I realized back then, you know, and I was a teenager, I was like, you can't box people into 
different things. Everyone's got their own personal tastes. And then you've got to think about, okay, you can't just make a product for one person. You've got to make a product for a wide variety of people, but then that wide variety of people need to want the same thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, So I always had that mindset that whenever you do business, who is going to be buying your thing and what are the things that they you need to tick for them for them to buy your product mm. and i think that's really important for a publisher but also a designer as well when you're making a board game because uh um, I, I mean we can talk about this later but i've hired brett gilbert as you know to be my um lead developer with, with me at alicat games yeah and we 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 have these great discussions about not just about making a great game but who is the game targeted for and why would they enjoy it? So we spend like 50% of our time talking about who's going to enjoy the game or not. Um, and I think that's really, really important. That's a really important thing for publishers, but also designers to think about when you're making this thing. <laughs> I mean, with you, when you start started in the road of actually, you know, going kind of into the design, the development side of things. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you have to restrain yourself with lab wars? Then were you considering kind of doing? Because you sound like a person that you kind of go zero, hundred miles an hour, and you're off. Yeah. Did you have? So did you have an influencer that kind of pulled you back and actually said, "Cesar, yeah. listen, you're gonna have to. You can't. As much as you would like the miniatures in the lab wars game, <laughs> it's probably not a good idea to have that. You're gonna have to yeah. scrap the board." And also, yeah. you're going to have to scrap the little glass conical flasks that you were going to give in every kind of thing. <laughs> totally but, agree. You know, I mean, but it means in terms of ideas. Do you, yeah. I mean with your kind of the way that you're driven and stuff like that? Do you find you need somebody to actually be a little bit of a damp squib and say, actually, let's stop, kind of think about this and how this is doing? Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And um, so, first of all, I'm very much like that. I always say to myself that's not going to work or I actually I probably am too harsh on myself when I come up with ideas or or concepts or things and I say that's not going to work and I'm totally pessimistic or whatever um but it's not just yourself that has to do that you have to get other people like you say Mm -hmm. um but sort of to answer your previous question and to answer this my product was always going to be to make a an academic themed game that um my target was, you know, it was a stupid target. I was like, I wanted every department around the world to have a to have a lab wars copy in their department. Yeah. And I always said to myself, that's the overall thing that I want, but I do I'm flexible about how I get there. So first of all, I was I always tried to be analytical, but whenever I took it to playtest, I always came I always took it with the with the mindset that if someone says it's terrible, then I gotta change it. And if someone says, you've got to change this, and lots of other people say it, I will change it. And I think that's the sort of academic side of me, which is that any academic will know that he, every day is spent either being in criticism or criticizing someone else, yeah. simply because that is the way science works. Well, it's peer-to-peer review, isn't it? I mean, exactly. that's, the, that's the whole basis behind a lot of these... Uh you know, hypotheses before they, you know, you stick one out there yeah, and exactly. you see what everybody else is saying to it. And if people go like, <laughs> you've not capitalized the A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that peer to peer review is sort of, 
sort of etched into every academic's mind that yeah. without it, your product or your paper or your experiments, they will fail. Uh, it's the same, it's the same procedure with board games. Now, I'm not saying that Lab Wars or all my games are absolutely perfect. No. Um, and, and in fact, in hindsight, looking back, I wish I'd done a lot of things differently. Um, but I think it's having learnt from those mistakes, learnt from the positives, the negatives, you can then move forward. And that's where I, as a publisher anyway, that's where I've figured out how to sort of improve and continue forward. Well, I mean, what kind of mistake? It's interesting you use the word mistake because people yeah. are always kind of against using kind of negative phrases. It's like, oh, I, I didn't have problems, I had challenges kind of thing. And it's like, <clears throat> nah, they no. definitely look like a big pile of problems. I mean, yeah, I, I think, I think you got, I mean, if, if you're, I mean, there's, there's, there's two, there's two, I guess, thoughts of how, how you could think about this is you could, you, I don't want to be rude on, on the show, but you could be, uh, you know, a bull <clears throat> or you could be honest with yourself and say, I'm, I messed up, yeah. you know, and I, I think I did. Um, and I think one of the things was that I probably rushed the project a little bit because I was so adamant that it was going to be done by X, Y, Z. Yeah. And um, when I mean rushed, I mean the whole the whole fulfillment and everything. Everyone got their games on time, and everyone's happy, blah blah blah. But I think the design of the game could have been much more improved, and that that could have been helped with three or four months more playtesting. Yeah. Um, and it's it's basically things like uh, there are a few things in the game which are slightly unbalanced, um, and uh, there are lots of little punctuation mistakes here and there in the rule book, and blah blah blah. And um, I think you just got to realise that you messed up, and you just got to say to yourself, "You can't do that next time." Um, do you and- do you think it is kind of like you've got to? Um, I don't know. I always think a Kickstarter is like marinating a good chicken. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You <laughs> give it, you give it until it's done. You have to give yeah. your Kickstarter to, until it's done. It doesn't matter if you tell people that dinner's going to be ready at five o'clock. If they've got to wait until quarter past six, you break out some unibbles and you give them that to kind of <laughs> munch on before they kind of get the mean. I like main it, main yeah, marinating the chicken, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, just making sure all the flavour soaks in, that all the spices yeah. are in, it gives you a chance to add a, maybe an extra spice, it gives you a chance to take some stuff away. <laughs> you know, it's the cooking analogy. But in all seriousness, it is, you end up giving yourself a kind of a deadline and then you end up fighting to make sure that kind of that deadline works, and then you yeah. end up panicking. I mean, um, let's you know, a friend of the show, Mark McKinnon of Wrecking mm-hmm. Rune fame, who's yeah. he's coming on, um, he's coming back on very soon because Wrecking Rune is going to be launching. Um, Great, yeah, I've heard about it. And he's pushed, you know, he pushed it back. He came, I says, are you coming on the show? And he was going to be coming on the show a month ago, and he said, listen, I holding my hands up here I need three weeks more I need three four weeks more just to get everything kind of together and that can make the difference between running a really really good campaign and getting everything perfect do you know what I mean putting on that little bit of extra kind of seasoning to really make that chicken kind of sing yeah and totally I agree that and it's good that Mark's done that yeah yeah I think I think it's good that Mark's done that especially because uh, me, Peter, and uh, Lewis, us three publishers, we run that UK tabletop group, mm. and um, it's really nice to see that people are 
listening to our feedback. We listen to everyone else's feedback and it's a, it's a really good community and Mark has really taken advantage of that. So it's really nice to see that he is listening and saying, I'm not ready. I put my hands up, but hey, it doesn't really matter. Another month, no problem. I still want to get a hold of the original models that he used for the, um, cause I, I haven't seen them. I met him and, um, he was using the kind of the Play-Doh type models that he had. Um, and they were brilliant because they wow. were obviously just like prototype, big, huge, round, sausage type vehicles with big, huge wheels. And I was just saying, if you can, you've got to make an entire set of vehicles for the Kickstarter that are based around these molds because they're, they're absolutely brilliant. They're absolutely fantastic. But we're not here to talk about Mark. As much as like to, he's gonna get no, his. Fine. He's gonna. I'm get, looking forward to that one. Yeah, he's gonna get his own chance. Just interested to hear what he has to say and how things have moved on since. Uh, yeah, definitely. Since we kind of kind of last spoke, um, with you then, you know, you completed Lab Wars. Lab Wars funded. Lab Wars went out to everybody. You sound like, in retrospect, you kind of um, you kind of would, maybe do a couple of things kind of slightly differently. Yeah. You then went on afterwards. And you went away from science to maybe would people would say the mystics was it? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was Cauldron Master, which was our next game. And yeah. um, the whole, I mean, actually, I, I made that game in parallel when I was making Lab Wars. Okay. Uh, essentially, I wanted to make Lab Wars's little brother uh, because it takes some of the mechanics but makes it a very very simple game. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it's some of that social deduction that you that you had in. Lab Wars, uh, which is trying to figure out what characters other people are going to try and play. Yeah. But also just a simple set collection mechanic and putting it in cauldrons and matching it up. And it's sort of like a push your luck element as well within the cauldrons. Um, but yeah, I did go away from science, but I, I think the thought process behind that was again more of a business, um, sort of concept, which was right. Well, Dice Hospital, which I knew was going to be my third title, and that was coming along anyway. Yeah. Um, I wanted to expose my brand to people that weren't just scientists because I noticed that a lot of people that bought into Lab Wars, they were mainly scientists, but not a lot of them were gamers, um, like proper, proper gamers who back Kickstarters on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was because, you know, we were a first-time company and it seemed quite science-y, when it really wasn't. Um, so I wanted to make something that was a little bit more appealing to the to the gamer market. So we wanted to make something that was sort of a bit quirky, but not like a theme that had been overdone. Yeah. So I know there are yeah. lots of witch games out there, but I didn't really feel like there was a, a light set collection game with a witch theme. So that's why we went with it. Did you, I mean, did you go through kind of like several different iterations of the theme yeah. before you can oh, work yeah. on it, yeah? Yeah, that's right. So the first version we ever had was, it was a teddy bear game. <laughs> so you would go, it was almost like you you were a family of teddy bears and you were stealing uh, ingredients from families' uh, picnic baskets in the woods. Uh, that was the kind of like concept in the beginning. But then I realized that was way too childish and the people that we were wanting to sell it to uh, wouldn't buy it, basically. You kind of... Um, no, I don't know. I kind of disagree wholeheartedly. I, I don't loved, know. I don't know. I would have loved it, a teddy bear game. <laughs> it could have worked. It could and have I found worked this. I found this amazing illustrator from Chile who drew t- who drew bears. Oh, no. He was amazing. Yeah, and um, 
he was fantastic and I loved his work. It would have worked really well. But I just felt I needed to do something a little bit more serious and make it more more of a like adults could play and not just with your kids, if you know what I mean. Because it is a game that you can play with your partner or with a mate as a light filler. I'm I'm listening, but I'm shaking my head thinking of some guy who probably took trips down to Darkest Peru to see Paddington's family and to get his inspiration <laughs> for drawing bears. Yeah, you come back, probably. You come back with a witchcraft influence called <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> in Heinz, in Heinz, I mean, I made some mistakes with that one as well. I'm not the seeing, de- I'm not judging at all. <laughs> but the, the design I felt like was quite solid. Um, I think maybe the rule book could have been written a bit better. Uh, Paul Grogan actually helped me out with that. Uh, he did a really good job with that book. Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules? Yes. I'd like him to be a friend of the show, but he won't return my calls. That's, oh, no, it's not, I'll, that's not, I'll, I'll put in a call and I'll say, hey man, what are you doing? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You always um, hear about Paul, always on Polyhedron Collider. But he's always, yeah. he's always done something. And I don't know exactly <laughs> what he's done, because they never actually say what he's actually done. But they always <laughs> make comments. And then you see him on Twitter saying, what have I done now? And it's like, you, you know. So it kind of moves <laughs> on. But, um, so, you know, obviously you, you went out and, and, and you know, children funded well. I mean, again, it was another yeah, it was success, all right. you know. Yeah, it made it made £15,000 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so reasonably well. I mean, the really good thing was that we were able to to get some of the games um, air air freighted to, to my house. And mm. I got to send them out really earlier. And they were it was actually two months early compared to my delivery date. So I was really pleased about that. Do you think doing, it's really weird, do you think getting a game out on time or even early is a massive victory for a Kickstarter yeah. game? massive. Yeah. Totally agree. Because everyone who does a Kickstarter knows, you know, it's going to be a month, a couple of months late. Everyone's cool with that. Yeah. Um, I think once it starts getting to six months that people are like, okay, what's going on? And I've had a few like that, and I do feel frustrated. And I'm just thinking to myself, why? Why is it taking this long? And being a publisher myself, it's either due to these people are not doing it full time, which is fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but also, if they are doing it full time, then it's just pure laziness. Um, because <laughs> no, seriously, you know, if if you give yourself a six month uh, cushion for a, you know a light game, you know, predominantly a card game. That is totally doable, especially if you have all the art done. Yeah. But if you've only done like forty percent of the art, then and you do your Kickstarter, you know, that's your own fault, sort of thing. So I have really, you know, very little sympathy. But at the end of the day, it is Kickstarter, so anything's game. That's the problem. I mean, you Kickstarter looks like is is going to be and continue to be kind of like your your platform of choice. Yeah, to the point where, and we are going to speak about Dice Hospital, but to the point where, as you, you've mentioned already, you're you know part of the UK tabletop Kickstarter group. Yeah, you and uh, Lewis. Um, yeah, do you know? Yeah, I know. But you see, we we talk about Peter all the time, and Peter's been on the show enough that Peter doesn't need another mention. In fact, yeah. I feel the bad when I look at the the scores in the doors. It's like how many times <laughs> has Peter been on? Lots. How many times has Cesar <laughs> been on? He's been on this will be one. We're almost here. We're, <laughs> we're at point we're at point six seven at the moment in terms of number of times that he's been on. How yeah. often has Lewis been on? 
Lewis hasn't been on. I feel really bad about that. Just get him on, get him on, yeah. I know, for sure. it's absolutely terrible. I feel really, yeah. really bad about that. But with that in mind, I mean, with your experiences and stuff like that, you give out your kind of advice. And you, you actually, it's a service that you're offering now, isn't it? You're actually helping businesses with with yeah. the kind of their Kickstarter stuff. I mean, how did that? How did that come about? You know, you've got it was, yeah. It was really crazy. Um, I mean, to be honest, it was it wasn't. I wouldn't say desperation, but I I was trying to think of a, a separate, um, you know, funding avenue to keep my business going because, you know, Kickstarter is up and down, and you know, one time you can have a great Kickstarter, next time you can have a really bad Kickstarter, and yeah. if you don't if you don't plan well, you could be screwed. Yeah. Um, so I, it was more of a like a business decision to diversify away from from me just doing that and you know because a lot of the time as a publisher you're waiting for your graphics designer to do things or mm. your illustrator or your rule book editor sometimes you're actually just twiddling your thumbs just waiting for something to happen yes you can be proactive and I do spend a lot of time on Facebook but yeah. there's a lot of downtime um, so I just thought what can I do with that downtime and the only thing I could think of that was a skill set that I could sell was advice. Um, so my wife and I were on holiday and we, we in, in the States and we met up with these two guys and they met us. They, they had seen us already through Twitter and you're like, hey, you're the Lab Wars guys. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, can you help us out? And we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so they invited us to have some, some dinner with them and yeah. they were, and, and I was just like, look, I could see that they were totally struggling because they had literally no idea what they were doing. They'd made this game and they wanted to self-publish, yeah. but they had absolutely no direction. Um, and I just said to them, "Look, I can't offer I can't offer you the world, and I, I'm not going to say you're you're going to fund like twenty million dollars, but I'll say I can help you guys out." And they're like, "Oh my god, great!" So I just said, "You know, this is what I can offer. This is how much you'll have to pay me." And they were like, "Done." Okay. And then after that, I just thought to myself, "Well, I can start doing it." Um, and then I got, I, I got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I've still got another like six months at least until Dice Hospital comes out. So I wanted to see if I could get other games on board with my own brand. So I started reaching out to designers and one designer I reached out to was Phil Eklund. Mm. And, uh, it, I, cause I know he makes science games. So I said to him, I was wondering if he had any science games that he had in the back burner that he might want other people to publish rather than him. Yeah. So I messaged him just out of the blue and I said, Hey Phil, this is me. I'm do I, you know, I used to be a researcher and I'm doing this. <laughs> and then he was like, he was like, I don't want to publish any more games with other people. Yeah. Because he had been burnt with the high frontier third edition. All right. Okay. You might, you might have heard, heard about that story because anyway, long story cut short. He actually said, do you want to do my Kickstarter for me? And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then after that, he was like, what can you do? And I said, I can run the whole thing for you and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, great, that's your job. You do it. And um, so now I'm his, I'm Sierra Madre Games' official Kickstarter campaign manager. That's so, pretty cool. So what game yeah, What game awesome. was it you helped them with? So all I did was the, the Kickstarter page and sort of like publishing advice, um, mm. sort of like his right-hand man. I mean, he, he has been designing games for like, like 20 years so yeah. he knows what he's doing uh but he he loves just like me i love hearing advice he loves hearing advice and he'll always listen to people's opinions and that's what i really like about phil um you know we're on a similar wavelength there and he was just like you know you seem like a good guy let's work together 
And I think for him, what he wanted to retain was control of the game, control of how it's sort of sent out to backers, because that's how he was burnt with High Frontier. Yeah. Uh, so all I said was, you keep control of the game, you keep all the money, mm. um, you know, you just pay me or whatever, um, and I'll run the Kickstarter campaign. And he was really happy. And it did super well. It did like $309,000, um, mainly mainly because he has such a huge fan base, but also because that fan base told other people yeah. there's this Kickstarter campaign, you should back it. So um, he actually, I spoke to him like a week ago and he told me that he compared like for like sales between his, his website and his Kickstarter. Yeah. And he said the Kickstarter made a huge difference in comparison. So I think it just goes to show that selling direct is still inferior to going to Kickstarter. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because it's I see some people that are doing it, and some people that that I've seen some people that go to Kickstarter and then they have the website kind of afterwards, and they keep the game kind of in stock and continually print it. And I've seen that with um, with Grubbling Games. Um, yeah, I've seen that also um, with Tim Fowers as well. Doing, yeah. you know, they see he had they have their own little working site, and you can go ahead and you can buy the games kind of off their site, and they just keep. They almost use the revenue from the games to print more games in order to kind of keep them keep themselves going, which is which yeah. is kind of kind of cool. Yeah, is it is it difficult? That's it. Why am I doing high pitched? Hello, is it difficult? <laughs> is it is it difficult to advertise that type of service? Because I can imagine somebody saying. I'm an amazing designer. Look at this, and you're going. This game is actually fantastic. Unfortunately, your plans for your Kickstarter are a bit mince. So, yeah. is it different? <clears throat> do you have to be kind of like subtle like that? Is it? Is it? Do you get people kind of like approaching you, almost kind of subtly to say, "Listen, I, I, I am good a designer. I know I am a good designer. However, marketing, I'm absolutely." really bad at it can yeah. you help me with that is that can you yeah really and yeah no i mean to be honest like to be a publisher i think you have to have a wide variety of skills and that includes this whole marketing thing that you're mentioning to, yeah. to make it to make it successful and that's why i don't do the design stuff anymore because the designing is is a whole different set of skill sets that are completely different to publishing yeah. Um, so you've really got to concentrate on one or the other. Um, and I, I think for a designer fresh, f- you know, fresh and he's made this great game or whatever, he truly believes in it. Um, some of them are just not going to have the marketing skills to, for, for it to do well on Kickstarter. Yes, they can put it on Kickstarter. They, they can make an okay amount of money. Yeah. You know, $10,000 or whatever. But for a good game to really make, the money that it deserves, you do need someone with his business hat on. And that's why you need someone like, you know, like me as a consultant, or, you know, that's why you need the publisher because they do that side of things. Um, do you, and sometimes it is beneficial. Do you get frustrated sometimes when you see a campaign that you've seen and is actually, you see it, it looks fantastic, it looks amazing, and you can see it's just whimpering along and you're like if i got hold of that i could make this i could make <laughs> this canary sing kind of thing i i've seen lots of really good games with bad kickstarter campaigns not to say that i think i'd do any better but I, I i think that sometimes they could do with 
having had someone just give them some proper advice or for them to just sit down and do some research. Mm. Um, there is, I mean, we've had so many people come, come through to our Kickstarter page on Facebook, the tabletop Kickstarter group, um, the UK one, and they just come by and they say, can you come and help me out? And people, you know, we, we take a look as all of us and it's just, some of them are really bad <laughs> and, uh, no, they really are. And it's, it's mainly because they just haven't done the research. And I think they just think that Kickstarter is some kind of pot of gold that they can just swim into, um, just because of how many, how many good Kickstarters there have been. And I think it's that kind of lack of research, maybe a little bit of ignorance that suggests that that's why they, they do it. Do you think, okay, here's another one for you. Because these are just coming off the top of my head, like Go for it. eruptions from a volcano, except without the burning liquid hot magma. <laughs> Do you think, well, no, if I, have you seen games that have managed to create the noise, which aren't necessarily fantastic games, fund exceptionally well compared to a game that could is a better version of that game, but it has not any noise at all and is absolutely crashed? Because I, I seem to see it more and more and I see, yeah. I seem to see the case where I am screaming at people why didn't you come to me three months ago to <clears throat> talk about what you were going to be doing because yeah. I've not uh, heard of you before kind of thing yeah and, and that's that's a very typical behaviour of, of most new Kickstarter creators which is that They've designed the game and they've they've practically done the Kickstarter and sometimes they've launched it. Yeah. And no one no one's heard anything about it. Yeah. Um, and that's when you kind of want to, you know, put your head through the wall because you're kind of like thinking to yourself, why don't these people do any research? I mean, you know, you don't when you get when you you know, back in the old days when you used to have to go to the bank manager, you couldn't just turn up and go, All right, mate, here here is my here is my computer, do you want to buy it? You know, You'd never go to the bank manager. It's the same with Kickstarter, except the difference is it's not one person you're trying to convince. It's thousands. I can imagine the bank manager saying to you, yes, Mr. Al-Jassar, I'm um, telling you again, if you come back in here doing those terrible accents, I'm giving you no, I'm giving you no, no yeah, money. Yeah, well, the bank manager has said that to me, so yeah. He's putting on a different straw hat and a glove and going... And what's your name? It's um, it's um, it's uh, it's it's, it's, uh, uh, it's Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Charlie Al Alja. It's it's Cesar, isn't it? No, it's not. I'm here by your convener, Mister. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, um, but it's it is really sad because, um, you know, lots of ideas could make lots of really great games, and um. You know, it's it's beneficial for the industry to have people who are who know what they're doing and do it well to introduce more people to the to the hobby because that's what we all want. You know, we want as many you know people who don't play board games to come into the industry and and like it because yeah. it's a it's a great hobby, it's a great industry, and it's really sad when you see these people doing really badly because they just haven't done their research. Do you know what it's like? It's the Tesla Edison thing. Yeah, Tesla was amazing. It could say, oh, listen, I can create electricity out of the air and just have it coming down at substations. But Edison was the guy that went out and knew how to sell stuff to people. Exactly. Yeah. And it was him that kind of went on, went on to do it. I mean, it's, sometimes it is almost a case that you want to, for some projects that you see, you want to take them and you want to take them out to maybe like a little Kickstarter hospital where they could maybe, <laughs> get, where they could maybe get better and improve. Yeah. Um, 
if... I mean, the thing is, there are so there are so many forums like that that that's why this that's why I'm trying to bang it home that there's there's literally no excuse for people to behave in that way because there's so much of it on the internet. I just gave you an excellent segue to talk about your game, and you fluffed it. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, my my favorite thing is is talk about good kickstarters, but yeah, we we can talk about that hospital game you mentioned. <laughs> I'll try again, okay? <clears throat> of course, sometimes, Cesar, what you want to do is you want to take a bad Kickstarter and you want to put it in a into a little hospital where it can get better, maybe, and you can kind of maybe change the faces of the dice so they've got healthier pips. Isn't that isn't <laughs> isn't that right? Yes. Well, funny you say that. There's a game <laughs> that go. we've just made called Dice Hospital. Well, tell me all about Dice Hospital <laughs> then. Um, yeah. So it's our it's our third game. Okay. Um, what's it about? What's what's the, what's the message? <laughs> so <laughs> the message is, it's a hospital for dice, and the yeah. dice are the patients. So Excellent. it's kind of like this semi-meta thing where uh, the higher the pips they are, the healthier they are. The lower the pips, the less less healthy they are. Um, so it's it's basically a worker placement like game with um, dice manipulation mechanics. And that, that's the end of the podcast. Well done. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Where do you get the idea for a game like this? Because I've heard this is kind of like what they call the spin, spin up and spin down mechanics where you take a dice. And I've seen it before. In fact, the last time I've seen it was a much loved um, game, Steampunk Rally. Yeah. Which you yeah. basically had to spin down the dice in order to get rid of them, in order yeah. to basically vent them. Yeah. Um, where so did, it's, it's yeah, similar. Where, yeah. Um, so this is, so Dice Hostel is actually our first adventure where we didn't do the design in-house. So uh, the design actually came up with an American designer called Stanislav Kordonsky. Um, he's based in, uh, where is it? By Chicago. Uh, I think he's based in Wisconsin, actually, uh, which is nearby. But anyway, he came up with the concept and he had this game up on the Indie Game Alliance website for basically designers looking for publishers to pick up their games. Mm -hmm. I was looking for a hospital game. Uh, that popped up. It was worker placement mechanics, dice manipulation. I was like, ooh, that sounds good. And <laughs> It's like a weird light to meet advert. It's like a dating thing. Yeah, no, it literally was. It was literally a dating place for publishers to meet designers and yeah, and I and I contacted Stan. He contacted me the next day, saying he was still looking for a publisher. Oh wow! Um, and this was about this time last year, maybe before. Um, and it was it was still pretty rough. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, but I I had I could see the potential, and I could see that it, it sort of overlapped with our philosophy of science themed games, and it had a lot of yeah basically potential. It got to a stage where. It needed more development, but I didn't feel like I could get a handle on it. Yeah. So that's when I asked Mike Nudd to come involved because I had been talking to him for a couple of months, mm -hmm. um, and he was like, "He was like, the game is slightly broken, but I reckon I can fix it." So literally, I said, "Take the prototype," and literally a week later, he was like, "Here you go, I fixed the game, and <laughs> it's basically what it is now." Is it when you go back? Was it difficult to to go back and say, "Well, listen, we've we've changed your game slightly." I mean, what was the reception like when when you told them that you changed the game? So, um, me and Stan, uh, I said to Stan, "Look, leave it with me for a couple of months, and yeah. I'll see what I can do with it." And he was like, "Okay, I trust you." And then <laughs> I came back and I said, 
look, Mike Nudd's come involved. Um, you know, he's he's now a co-designer and he's basically uh, redeveloped the game into basically using all your core concepts but just streamlining it. And then Stan looked at it and he basically said, "Holy moly, this is a great game. This is this is much better, and this is how I felt like it should have been." Um, so everyone was really pleased. Mike was pleased because he's come on board. I'm mm. pleased because the game's better, and Stan's pleased because it's going to get published to a good standard. Um, so yeah, explain. I mean, this is. I mean, the game's coming out a week and a half. Yeah. And what do you do? What do you do if so, I if I dump Tom Clear? Doctor, <laughs> yeah, in the dice hospital, yeah, and he had his little champions of the wild with him. <laughs> what would Tom be doing to help these dice patients? Yeah, so every turn, um, you've you've got to use your workers to treat dice, and the way you treat them is you have a special custom player board that manipulates the the dice by taking a meeple and putting it on an action spot, and the action spot will tell you. You can treat uh, a, a dice of a certain color or a dice of a certain number, and that's your starting board. Mm. So uh, it's sort of like a you know something to get you going. Uh, but then every turn you'll intake more and more dice. But the problem is the the hospital likes to invest in new rooms, but they don't like to invest in new wards and new patient beds. So you've only got a limited supply of beds that you can treat the the dice in. Yes. Now if you if you if you reach the full capacity, your patients will start to die and you'll lose points. Okay. So so the whole point of the game is you're continually having to accept patients, but at the same time, you are trying to discharge them and it's the discharging that gets you the points. Now, the beauty of the game with the dice manipulation is you want to get all the dice up to a certain level, which is six, which is close to being discharged, yeah. and then you want to discharge them all at once in the same round. So basically, the more you discharge in a single round, the more points you get. So you're constantly trying to balance the intake of the dice, mm-hmm. but then you're trying to discharge them all at once without having to be at full capacity, basically, and lose points. It's I'm. Uh, it sounds like viticulture and making the sparkling wine when you've got to combine kind of different. Yeah, a little bit. That's, that's yeah, nice. that's right. And and in a way, it's 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 like that in terms of the balance of what you're trying to achieve. Um, but the but the other great thing about the game, and this is the beauty that Mike brought into it, was the whole comboing aspect. Yeah. So so every turn you would you would pick up a new specialist with a with an extra meeple, so it gives you an extra worker because you only start with three, which isn't enough to win the game. No. Um, and then, or you can pick up a new room with a special ability. So what you're really trying to do is comboing certain specialists into certain rooms and manipulating it in a way where you're comboing everything so you're maximizing the efficiency of your hospital. How long does it take to... Well, how many players can you have? Uh, one to four players. Oh, you can play it with single player? Yeah, it's solo, yeah. Oh. So yeah. how does how does that work? Is it just a case of you... You're just doing the same thing, but you're just trying it's, to clear out as many dice as possible? <clears throat> then? It's similar, but we made it, we made it on purpose specifically harder. Oh. Um... Because during the game, when you draft the dice, um, you, you place them on the ambulance cards, which are basically the initiative cards to pick it up. So the, the easier dice you get, the, the last choice you get in the upgrades, but the harder dice you pick up, the first choice you get in the upgrade choice. Okay. But in the, so, in the solo version, you get rid of that altogether and you literally just pick up three random dice and then you just roll them. 
and you see what numbers you get out and you put them in your ward. So it instantly becomes more difficult because you have less control over the dice or the patient that you can take into your into your hospital. Um, but the the trick of the game is that it's similar to Ticket to Ride, where you have objective cards, and if you don't fulfill them, you lose points. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in in our game, you have uh, little medical report cards, we call them, and you have to um, treat X amount of dice in a specific combination um, oh. to get to get certain points, and if you don't fulfill that criteria, you lose points, basically. It sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind I think of my, so. I'm really it, excited about it. It's kind of my bag, if yeah. I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big, you know, um, there's, yeah, I am, as I say, I'm a massive kind of, um, I'm a massive kind of worker. I'm becoming a bit more of a worker placement type. Yeah. Kind it's of a great mechanic. Guy. So I, I do kind of like that that kind of thing. How long does it take to play then? I mean, how long? Um, we, hours or days? or? No, no, it's... Like I, I personally like to make games that I like to play, and I really love Dice Hospital now. Mm. Um, but it only takes about sixty minutes. You can play sixty minutes with three players, and maybe seventy of seventy-five minutes tops with four players. I mean, you can actually play with four players, and it takes you forty-five minutes. I mean, we played a three-player game on last Saturday, um, like doing a quick play test with some dude who'd only played it once before, and me and Mike. And uh, that took 40 minutes with three players. That's um, good. Yeah, the, the beauty about it is that it has simultaneous. It has a simultaneous phase. So when you're activating your hospital and manipulating your dice, everyone does it at the same time. So that will save time rather than everybody kind of sitting around and waiting until... Yeah, exactly. Kind of because yeah. We, we do say in the rules that you can play one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mike, Mike's per- preference is that everyone plays that way in the first game. But my pre- my personal preference is that that's oh my god that's just so boring <laughs> watching people just twitching their dice and so I say you play it with two rounds linearly and yeah. then you play simultaneously. Well, it's like um, it's a proper emergency room, isn't it? I mean, yeah, look at that. Like everybody kind of you know what I mean. It's like yeah, all exactly. the time. Yeah, you know you got to get that sorted out. Yeah. With you having the influence of Stan and Mike on your side. Have the are you feeling now that this is more polished than the other two games now? I mean, oh, have, yeah. have, they, have they kind of gone through it and says, "Well, Cesar, you need you actually should have done this, and we need to do this, and we need to yeah. sort this out," <laughs> and it's kind of checked on. You might have went, "Well, this is good now." Um, yeah. Well, you... the beauty about that is it's not just Stan and Mike that have really helped us out. Hmm. We have this huge Facebook group. We have a thousand members of yeah. people who are like desperate to back. Dice Hospital, I'm totally excited that they're there. But the whole time, every time I get new stuff from my graphic designer or illustrator, I come up to these guys and I say, what do you think about it? And I usually get like 50 comments from 50 different people saying, oh, could you change this? Could you change that? But not only that, these people have also helped with blind playtesting. So, you know, we've had about, oh gosh, maybe about 80 different blind playtesting sessions. And using that data, we've used it to... just continually improve and we've just now moved into the final blind playtesting round so uh hopefully we'll get even more on what we hope is the final version of the game and i believe you had the wonderful the fantastic the amazing rory j summers kind of help you put that data together that's right yeah yeah he's been really he's been really great like that and 
I saw I saw a tweet of his like I don't know a couple of months ago, and I saw that he'd done some statistic stuff. So I just emailed him. I said, "Hey, dude, do you want to do you want to just look at our data?" And he was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I'd really like to help out." <laughs> so he's Rory just... was fantastic like that. Yeah, is he should change his name to Rory J Star. I'm just saying because <laughs> he is. He is. He's no. He's a fantastic guy, and I've got a lot, got a lot of um, a lot yeah. of time for him. If um, people are going, mm, this actually, you know, this is my bag. Yeah, take me to the hospitals. Um, <laughs> how much is it going to be to get a ticket to the hospital? So I figured out it's going to be um, thirty six or thirty seven pounds uh, plus a, plus a small shipping fee of it will either be five or six pounds. So altogether, it would be forty-three quid. But the the beauty about it is, it comes with a lot of stuff. It comes with like um, custom player boards with hex that come in a hex form. It comes with uh, upgraded tiles. It comes with custom doctor meeples. It comes with lots of different types of cards. Um, it's solo. It's one to four, and it's a light to medium game. So I feel like, well, I hope the price point is exactly to to people's tastes. Is there a little ambience? You know what? In the deluxe version, there is. Oh, there's a deluxe version. Yeah. So we have a we have a deluxe like upgrade pack. Um, yeah. after, I took some advice from distributors in the US who were going to pick up the game, and they said do the Stonemaier thing, which is offer like a like a deluxe upgrade pack. So in that pack, you'll get five um, sort. Of, they actually they're almost the size of a hand, maybe half the size of a hand. Ambulances. <laughs> And basically, you put your dice in them, and you use them to draft the dice uh, in the deluxe version. Um, you'll also get a, a mini expansion pack with um, sort of like a different way to play the game, which is pretty sweet. Uh, there's a little bit of dice rolling in that, so it's slightly more random, but it's also quite silly and fun. Um, but it's still quite Euro-y for the for the feel of the game. And um, you'll get wooden tokens, and you'll also get a build-your-own hospital dice tower pack as well. And how much is that going to be then? So the whole lot is, I think it's going to be 29 quid for the upgrade pack. Whoa. Yeah. That's that's decent. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, the ambulance is really big, so the tooling cost for that is quite expensive. Um, but everything else is, I think, reasonably priced. It's, it's, just a, it's just a nice way to pimp out your, your Dice Hospital set, and a lot oh. of people are like, Oh my god, I want the 3D ambulances, or I really want a dice tower. So we thought, hey, let's just bungle them in into one thing. Well, Jamie, Jamie Stegmaier did it with Euphoria, didn't he? Yeah. I believe there was like deluxe versions of Euphoria. There's, um, yeah. I believe, well, I mean, um, <clears throat> let's face it, Scythe itself has got a whole expandable board. You know, there's people that are making deluxe stuff that kind of like that all the time. I think it's, um, I like it when it is an upgrade which doesn't. Which is an optional that you can get away with not getting. Yes, and that's I, what we try to do because, yeah. like you say, you don't you don't want to be forced into it. Yeah, but it's it's something that for the higher end people, it will really make them feel like this game is really unique because I have I have ambulances, man, <laughs> and I have I have a build your own dice tower at a hospital. Now you're not going to get that in any other game. <laughs> you know, I think that is your like your thirty thirty second pitch is like, why should I consider like looking at dice hospitals? Like, because I've got an ambulance and I've got an ability to build like a hospital dice tower, and the folk <laughs> exactly. will like that. <laughs> the, yeah, the pledge button will be going crazy. 
Um, so the date on this to remind all the good people out there because yeah. this will be going out in the next couple of days. Yeah, twenty yeah. seventh of September. That is if uh, my my videographer guy comes comes good. <laughs> well, Poor guy, he had to he had to barricade himself in his house in Florida. I feel so sorry for him. What's your target yet? Have you decided on that? Um, basically, just enough to cover a thousand units, and then right. anything, anything more is, is a bonus. So at the moment, it's um, twelve and a half thousand pounds is the target. That's not huge. No. I must admit, I was expecting towards twenty. Considering it's your like your third Kickstarter, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the the funding target thing. As long as you you set a very very low base, um, mm. you know, to, to cover your costs, it can be really low. So when when people when publishers put up this ridiculously high target, it's usually because they either a haven't done the maths right or b they genuinely believe that they're going to reach a very high target. Yeah. My philosophy is, you know, set as low a target as possible. To make it look like that it will fund because a lot of backers still think that if you back something and it doesn't fund they they'll lose their money so there is a good percentage of people that still think that so my philosophy is put as low a target as possible just so that the psychology is there that it's going to fund yeah no that's no i can completely understand that they still think that you know that's a, I'm, I'm kind of giving my money now and it's like but my money hasn't left my account it's like well you ask because it's not it's not the end date yet. Oh, okay then. Okay, thanks. Kind of thing. But, I mean, Kickstarter continues to grow. I think you're at the situation now where it's almost like uh, there's almost like a really nice project kind of coming up kind of every week, which is always a strange. It's kind of strange. It's confusing. And it also means you got people kind of juggling. I think if you looked at stats, I reckon there'd be a lot of people that do multiple pledges and then make a decision based on how three or four campaigns kind of go before they back the one they want to back, which is always, which is always kind of um, interesting. No, Dice Hospital does sound fascinating. Um, it sounds yeah. really, really interesting. Um, if people have listened tonight and yeah. they want to find you, where can they find you on the internet webs? Um, well, you can go to alleycatgames.com. Yep. Um, you can search for the Dice Hospital Facebook group. Yep. There's a thousand of us there, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram as alleycatgames. Awesome. And where'd you get the name from? Um, again, that's my wife's fault. She loves cats and she was like, we've got to have a cat themed publisher game, uh, name because we, we, we have two cats and we absolutely adore them. Uh, so she was like alley cat because they're like us, you know, we're individuals. We like to, we're, we're a bit like strays. <laughs> so alley cat games. That's fantastic. Yeah, bit silly. <laughs> no, it's necessary. <laughs> necessary. Yeah. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and we um, thank every single one of you that has, um, then you can find us on the usual channels. You can go to Twitter and find us on We're Not Wizards. We're on Facebook, We're Not Wizards. You can go to YouTube and go to We're Not Wizards Tabletop and you will find us there. You can email us, which is magic at wizards.com or .co.uk. If you have liked what you've heard tonight and you want to spread the word, then um, if you jump onto Apple Podcasts or jump onto any of the available podcasts where you get your podcasts from, if you fancy dropping us a little rating or a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you decide to give us a rating and a review, as we say, 
is we've done a hundred episodes. We're not changing the joke now. If you like us, don't give us a ten because that'll make us big-headed. But don't give us a one because that'll make us cry. Give us a five because it's in the middle and it's average, and we are decidedly average. But the person who hasn't been average tonight is Cesar Aljassar. So thank you very, very much for coming on. I wish you the best of luck with your campaign when it kicks off on the 27th. Thank you very much. It's been excellent. There's only two more things left to do. The first thing, as always, is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Cesar? (laughs) Definitely not. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it is a goodbye from the our learned friend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Says goodbye, our... guys. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Um, roll sixes. If you are rolling sixes and you roll a two, you might need to make sure it gets better by taking it to a three, then maybe taking it to a four, and then hope when some another dice comes in and it's feeling a four, that you get them up to six at the same time so you can release them and discharge them from hospital so you can score those extra lovely double points if you're playing Dice Hospital. (laughs) That given, until the next time, goodbye.